What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success in and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. So, folks, today my guest is Ed Levinson. Ed, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Glad so, to be here. So I want to give you guys a little – so this is a little bit of a turn because Ed and I actually weren't at Leavenworth at the same time. But I want to share a little story with you about – Ed is a great guy. Uh, you're going to enjoy him. He's a great storyteller. But Ed and I were at a car dealership, and he had just gotten back, and I had just got started at the car dealership. And I was going crazy. I only had a few months left. You probably, I, I hope you remember this, Ed, but uh, I was looking at places on the internet of trying to see what a federal prison looked like on the inside, which there aren't very many pictures of that. No. So you came in my office one day and you said, well, Brent, you know, because Ed's a builder and, and builds homes. And he said, I can draw you a picture of what Leavenworth looks like and and he, you took out a piece of paper, and he had a pen, and you drew Leavenworth <laughs> Camp. And, you know, each, you know, the A block, C, B block, C block, D block, and the cafeteria, everything laid out. And I got to tell you, it, it was something that really calmed my mind in such a weird way because it was like, oh, okay. I think I know now, okay, what I'm walking into. I, this looks like I uh, know where I'm going. but And you had no idea yet. <laughs> no, no. But, it, you know, Ed, it, I know it probably wasn't a big deal to you, but to me at that time, it was like that I had something. It was like, okay, I'm going to deal with this. I, this is what I've got, and this is the map of the place, and I'm going to walk in. So it was a big help to me. I, You know, and you did, actually drew a good picture, too. <laughs> So, folks, Ed, this is somewhat ironic because we are sitting about a half mile from Windcrest, which is one of the most beautiful neighborhood developments. Not even this backyard. Yeah, the share, backyard. They share backyards. It's right here. Right. One of the most beautiful neighborhood developments in Wildwood. Um, and, you know, you built really beautiful homes. And, and you know, I guess your Wildwood, Creve Core. Uh, Eureka, Chesterfield, Chesterfield. Uh, you just did a wonderful job. Okay, walk me back. And how did you get into? As a kid, is that what you were thinking? You wanted to be a builder? Yeah, for the I to a large extent. That's I. I always wanted to be in the building. My my father was a, in the home building business, and uh, I held my father as as my idol. Mm -hmm. uh, the man was a great athlete in school. He was a Captain of his uh, college foot, uh, baseball and basketball teams and president of his class. Where and, at? At Where? Washington University. Washington University. Uh, yeah, got there when they had athletic scholarships. And uh, they played big-time 
schools like UC, uh, USC and Notre Dame wow. and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, it, it was always intrigued me, the real estate business, the development business, the, the creating. And uh, that's what I ended up uh, uh, when I went to school. Uh, study political science yep. and urban. We've studies. got that in common. We had that <laughs> really in been able to use that one. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it really in the building business yeah. and in the development business, the real estate business, uh, three quarters of it is politics. Sure, it is. It's how do you get a building permit? How do you get a zoning approval? Yeah. Uh, how do you get along with inspectors? Yeah. Um, politics is not just also with the government itself. It's it's how Every we day. deal organization to organization. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how do you get your message conveyed and, and everything? And so it, it, it was significant. I, I had a, a, a history where I got into it, and uh, my father didn't want to get into it. And I ended up working for some other builders. And uh, the subdivision right across the street here, which was uh, Winding Trails, mm-hmm. I ran that for a couple of years for another builder okay. uh, as a superintendent on site and everything. And uh, uh, that's why I'm very familiar with this whole valley right yeah. here. My father actually owned uh, the, the area that's Point Clayton right on the mm-hmm. uh, corner there for years and sold it. And, and so this is kind of like to, Levinson World Valley. This, this, it really, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is to an extent, but it, it, it's, a, it's a great deal of, of pride that you feel yeah. when you can build and create. You see it. You got lakes and water fields and people. Well, this Windcrest has a lot of waterfalls and, and yeah. water uh, as you drive in, which is unique. Yeah, it it it. it I I just uh, so enjoyed doing it. I mean, we yeah. built I built about fifteen hundred homes over the years, and uh, the whole thing with the, with this with the crash and everything else is I never had a, a suit filed against me. Yeah. I never had a better business complaint filed against me. Yeah. Never didn't pay a bill yeah. in my whole life. And all of a sudden the world comes, the crashing. world comes crashing down. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit because you, your dad was in the business. Uh, I know your, your, your brother, Tom, and he's, he's in the business. Uh, so in high school and, and growing up, were you, did you play sports? Did you? I played fo- sports. I played football. I was yeah. an offensive guard. Offensive guard. And uh, just absolutely uh, uh, loved it. What was home life like? Uh, what was what was uh, the home life like? Home life. It was it was it was up. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I led a, a charmed life yeah. in in many respects. Uh, my father was very successful, and my mother was was adored throughout the community. She was very active in charities and everything, but she was a full-time stay-at-home mom yeah. uh, in that regard. And she would take us to, you know, the soccer bombs were old to, to, to all the games and and uh, uh, traveling around. And uh, so I had a lot of advantages. But on the other hand, you know, when I was in uh, junior high school is when I started working, and I worked uh, – uh, on a golf course, on golf course maintenance. Did you? Uh, yeah, cutting greens, fairways, yeah. raking sand traps, and putting irrigation lines in and laying sod. And uh, well, we have something in common on that because I did that at Fort Leavenworth right. Golf Course, and uh, you had actually the, that really, was a cush job. That it was. It was. Everybody wanted to get that. Yeah. For some reason, I couldn't. Uh, uh, get that if partly because of the restitution that my, yeah. my, my router restitution, they said that I was too big of a risk. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, then I started working as a labor for my father on the thing, which is the irony 
So you really started from the ground up. I, I started as a ground up. I got to, to I found our subdivision one weekend day and everything else. And, uh, or one day during the summer. And, uh, my father, I said, okay, I'm here to work. And, you know, want me to sell house? You want me to do it? He says, no, take this hammer, take this broom and take this hose. And, <laughs> and you said, am I here to sell house? <laughs> and the, you know, well, I'm 14 years oh, sure. old. You know, I was a football player, the world. I'm in good shape. And he said, take these and go out. And the counties complain that there's dirt and concrete in, on the street. Okay. And you've got to clean off the curbs and gutters. Mm-hmm. And break the concrete off, hose the whole street down, everything else. I go out there, and then, you know, I do that, and I clean it up and shovel and everything else. And and that's how I started. Now, it comes years later to tell you how things come full circle is I get to Leavenworth, and I get caught with a cigarette. Okay. And the uh, CEO at the time was a guy, Bulldog, who was mm-hmm. basically in charge, and he had kind of looked like a bulldog. He had, oh yeah, yeah. He had four four people that he had caught doing various things, and he told us all to meet on the next morning at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever, and uh, or eight o'clock in the morning at the bubble. And we did that, and he brings us out to the visitors' room to the sidewalk up front, and he grabs some shovel and brooms and hose, and he says, okay, as your punishment, you're going to clean the curbs and gutters on this street in front of the visitor's bureau and get all the dirt and everything out of here. I'm going, how is this full circle? Here I am 45 years later yeah. after being successful and everything else, and I find myself, I'm right back Doing at my exactly very first job. At 14 years old. Oh, God. That yeah. is full circle. Oh, it is full circle. But, uh, no, I, and I worked my way up. I worked for a guy doing the very first, I went to uh, Washington University and studied urban studies, and I got an internship working for the mayor of the city of St. Louis and federal grants and economic development yeah. for a summer, and. Uh, then I got a job right out of college working for another guy uh, called the Deutsch Partnership, in which we did the very first loft building on Washington Avenue. Really? Back in 1981. Wow. And uh, so my responsibility there was leasing it, overseeing the renovation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a complete rehab in the way that he was doing it, but we put lofts in and stuff like that. And some people I'm actually Facebook friends with today were uh, some of my clients back then. And uh, uh, so did that for a couple of years. And then I went and worked for this other uh, uh, home builder for a few years doing customer service and then s- supervision work and everything else. And I always wanted to get into the business myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept on finding a piece of brown and I did what I thought might be good. I'd go to my father. I'd say, Dad, how about doing this? What he do you think no. of this? <laughs> he says, no, I'm retired. I don't want to mess with this crap and all this other stuff. And. I finally brought one piece to him that was a hard piece to assemble with a bunch of airs, and it was, uh, I could get it sold for 24 homes in the new school district, mm-hmm. which is the nicest school district in St. Right. St. Uh, Louis, and um, he, uh, and I went, I talked to my boss that I was working for, a guy named Chuck, uh, Chuck Liebert, and I said, Chuck, I got this piece, would you be, you know, interested in doing this? And he said, Eddie? i tell you what, if you do this, I'll put up the money, you run it, and we can do it. And I said, well, let me just talk to my father. I'm going to give my father one last chance. Yeah. And I went in, and my father was also friends with, with this uh, Chuck Lieber guy. And uh, I went into my father, and I said, Dad, look, this is what I found. I found this piece of property. It's here. This is how I can lay it out. This is what's going to cost. I can do this. 
and uh, and I've even got Chuck Lieber lined up that he'll he'll do the financing, he'll partner with us and everything else. And he said, you know what? The hell with Chuck. You and I, we'll do it. We're partners. So he jumped in. We're partners. Let's 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 do this. And uh, then I built that subdivision, sold out very well. And then my other two brothers eventually joined me, and we built up the uh, the family company. I just said, come on in, your partner, and yeah. uh, went that way. And we built, uh, like I said, about fifteen different developments and. Really about nice developments. Homes and I uh, mean something to very very proud of. I'm sure when you know, we were talking about before uh, we got on the podcast here, just driving down the road here of Clayton Road. I mean that's something when you drive by it that 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 subdivision stands out. Well, thank you, thank you. It really it's is just a lot of pride in what we did, and uh, and it was a lot of what my father had done too. Yeah. Is my father maintained a great relationship. He had he had other major builders that were still living in one of his homes. Yeah. Because I and I asked him, I asked him, I said, "Why don't you build one of your own?" And I'm not even going to say, you know, who it was. And he said, "He said, what? I've got a beautiful home. It's a brick house. It's yeah. a rear entry garage in a great location. It's good. Why would I move?" <laughs> and uh, so it, there was that was the that was the highest compliment that I, uh, I would somebody, think so. somebody could pay. But that's uh, so that's what I did, and I absolutely loved it. Um, got involved with some other stuff in terms of building a Hilton uh, Garden Inn hotel in Chesterfield Valley. And yeah. I did a commercial project where I did a shopping center and multi. Well, I mean, you got involved with Chesterfield. You were on the. I was on the city council. Yeah, tell us, tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> well, it was my father had been building in Chesterfield and built an area, and uh, I found some property and was uh, and built a beautiful subdivision called Chesterfield Estates uh, on Wild Horse Creek Road that um, was there. And as I'm doing the development, uh, I ran into the very first. Uh, public works director for the city of Chesterfield. Mm -hmm. I knew the assistant street superintendent or the assistant director from building in a prior subdivision, another subdivision I did in Maryland Heights where he was a street director. And I saw him drive up in the subdivision. I go down and I uh, talked to him and I said, you know, good to see you. And he said, Ed, I want you to meet. This is my new boss. This is, you know, Bill Hahn. He's our new director of public works. And I said, Bill, it's a pleasure meeting you. I said, uh, if there's anything that you like or anything you want to know or do that I can do to help or whatever or answer, just please let me know. Because I always made a point of, and that comes from political science and everything mm-hmm. else, bend over backwards sure. and do it the way that they're asking. You don't need a fight right. on everything. I mean, there's no costly. reason. Yeah, the fight's going to be a lot more costly. Just, just doing and making the inspector mm-hmm. or the regulator happy and proud and the neighbors proud. Mm-hmm. I got more zoning, so I never lost lots than anybody else because I always did what we said we would do. And I always talked to the neighbors before I did a development to try to build consensus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was part of the training that, you know, that we had. But uh, uh, the guy says, well, good to meet you. He said, but listen, buddy, let me tell you something. From now on, things in Chesterfield are going to be done the right way. Mm. And I, I looked at him and I said, well, what? I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. And he said, from now on, developers are not going to get away with all the stuff they did. You're, from now on, things in Chesterfield are going to be done the right way. Now, I took that as an affront because I'm just building a nice subdivision right. before you get there. This is right when Chesterfield became a city. My father built a couple thousand homes in Chesterfield. Right. And that was what, you know, the thing. And he was basically saying that he got away with stuff. And... Um, he kept on doing things against development, against growth. Mm-hmm. And there's a group of people that were against anything growth. And a community needs growth. Mm-hmm. It needs balance. I mean, when I was in the city council, I came up and I said, let's come up with a, with a 
with a statement, mission statement. You know, we're, we're for Chesterfield's a great place to live, work, right. and play. Yeah. It's not just a bedroom community. It's 28 square miles, mm -hmm. 50,000 people. Right. Uh, don't do that. And uh, so some people talked me into the mayor, some council members, some other uh, residents, everything else talked me into running for the council against an incumbent who supported everything that this public works director did because he bl blamed builders for everything. You were the enemy. Yeah, we were the enemy. Though. Anybody in the building and real estate business was the, was the enemy. And so I ended up uh, running, and I ran against the stupid things they were doing, $800,000 street study instead of spending eight hundred thousand hours to fix the streets. Right. Uh, they hired a consultant mm -hmm. for eight hundred thousand dollars. It money. was it was just some, some absurd things. So I won. It was fun running the campaign, just got everybody involved. It was Republicans, Democrats. I mm -hmm. had some big uh, hitters that were just doing it out of you know friendship and everything mm -hmm. else and neighbors. And they had an interview with the people in City Hall. And uh, we're the staff. We meet council members, and I met with the finance director. I met with the planning director. I get to the public works director, and he asked the other guy that was there the first time that we met to, to sit in on the meeting and everything else. He says, council member, congratulations, if there's anything I could do. I said, Yo, do you remember the first time we met? He said, no. I said, we met when we were <laughs> Chesterfield Estates, <laughs> and you told me, Bud, from now on, things, things are going to be, done, be right. done the right way. Yeah. I said, well, let me tell you something, Bill. I ran because of you. Mm -hmm. I won because of you. Mm -hmm. And from now on, things in Chesterfield are going to be done, done the, the right, right way. way. <laughs> he starts stammering, oh, no, 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 no. I, go, I walk out of the meeting later with, with this assistant direct, you know, the assistant director. I said, did I miss was my memory? He said, oh, no, you were spot on. He uh -huh. said, I, I loved it. The guy was an arrogant bastard. So was he there the whole so, time you were there? No, no, he finally, I got him. He got, got him. I got him to quit and, uh, you know, putting the pressure on because you couldn't do it. I, I believed in building consensus. Yeah. And uh, Well, I mean, there's, there'd be better world if we had that going on in the real world. Oh, now, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's always things are. Getting you know, things done, building consensus. Yeah. That's, that's, that should be the work of the way of the politics. You look for a win-win, and that's the way I used to do business, win-win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even when the whole thing crashed. The real estate. Yeah, I had all my contractors in for well, group meetings to say, "This here's is what's, what's going, going on. on. Here's what it is." I was open. Well, lead lead me into that because you you know you went from um, you know having a building and 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 having a, a proud company and looking at all the houses that you were building. Uh, Two thousand eight hits. What uh, walk walk me through the world that you started dealing with? I studied the real estate industry real estate economics, uh, thought I knew generally how things would go, what things historically have done. And um, I had a policy of that the people that really got hurt in recessions mm -hmm. and builders were the ones that were overexposed. Mm -hmm. If you did not, if you owed too much on a piece of property or on a, on a house, you could get killed with interest mm -hmm. and everything else. So what I did was I always made it a practice over the 25 years I built Pay down that loan as quick as you can. Mm -hmm. Don't take out a full amount of loan if you can. Keep a bunch of equity in it mm -hmm. because you can always have the equity if you need the cash. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had, like, on these lots next door, uh, I um, 
they were worth about $250,000. And I sold a couple lots to some other builders mm-hmm. for um, $250,000. To build in there. And I was building million-dollar houses, which the rule of thumb is a quarter to a third of your value of your cost can be in, a, in the lot. Mm-hmm. So during that, I'm $250,000. I owed the bank $120,000 a lot. So I had, you know, a, a bunch of lots. I had a lot of equity built up in there. And I finally, I started running short on cash as there was a dip. There was, mm-hmm. there was a recession. I was running out and sales were taped. When, when things stopped, they stopped off. the sales. Yeah. And uh, we had a few sales that were still going and everything else and doing it. But it was, I was starting to run out of cash. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to the bank. I said, okay, uh, I need to get a loan for cash because to be able to pay interest and carry yeah. and overhead. To make it work. Uh, mm-hmm. To make it work, I need to get some cash. They said, no problem. We'll just order an appraisal. Mm-hmm. And they ordered an appraisal, and the appraisal came back, and the guy said it was worth 130000 a lot. Because now with the real estate crash and the loaners, you know, uh, banks aren't lending on it and everything else, and they said, oh, you're upside down. You know, you owe us 120 You have to have 80%, mm-hmm. 70% loan to value. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't have it, and I... I with overhead, trying to pay that, keep people employed that had worked, ran out of cash, couldn't get a loan. Mm-hmm. I talked to a couple other banks. They were ready to do it, but the control of the currency was basically telling them in Missouri, yeah, if you lend to a builder or real estate, we will write it off as a, as a loss. A loss. So yeah. you cannot lend to right. any builders. Yeah. And so, so all of a sudden, up. there's no money whatsoever for it. And uh, the bank took back. And a week and a half later, I get a knock on the door at my office because I've let go of all my staff. I've got nothing going. I, I know I owe people money, but I can work it out. Right. It's an FBI agent. Mm. And he says, you know, I'm here because I think you can, I, I know you committed bank fraud. I said, no, I'll show you all my workers. Mm-hmm. My, I have immaculate records. They'll do whatever. And he says, he says, no, I, th- I think you did it. And, uh, he said, you'll hear from us. And a couple of days later, we get a subpoena for all of our records. All your records. And books and, and everything. And um, I remember talking to somebody in the, uh, there was an, an attorney that also had a business in the city. They, they knew all these people in the business they were in. I don't want to say any names in terms of FBI mm-hmm. and, and probation and cops and everything else. And uh, I told them that, uh, I said, yeah, I got visited by the FBI. He said, oh, Eddie, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm not. I know I'm not because my books are 100% perfect, clean. I've you know, got a CFO that's, that, that's, an, that's mm-hmm. owned the thing that, that puts everything together. I trust my Uncle Lou and everything else, and there's no doubt. I know where every penny went. I did not divert funds from one to another. I didn't lie on any forms right. and everything else. You know, the bank did their own appraisals. Uh, so I've got nothing to worry about. And I said, you know, the advantage is these FBI guys are they're, they're lawyers, they're accountants, they're some smart people. He mm-hmm. said, no, they're idiots. Mm-hmm. I said, no, they're not. They're really not. These are smart people. Because I studied political science. Yeah. I studied the criminal justice system. Right. I even interviewed Constitutional for law. a paper, <laughs> the prosecuting attorney for St. Louis yeah. County. Yeah. I did a paper on, 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 on that. And uh, he said, no, Eddie, you're screwed. So I basically called an attorney, you know, uh, an attorney. I said, we're going to fight this thing. Thing I said, because I don't, they said, I misused funds. I didn't use funds the way they were intended to. Mm-hmm. And I said, where, what? I don't, I mean, I can account for every penny 
mm-hmm. of this. I even stopped taking a salary the last six months of operations because I wanted to keep the cash flow. Yeah. I didn't uh, need and it. And at this time, the whole world has gone uh, nosedive. Oh, the whole world's nosedive. Everything that you've done. Mm-hmm. And I talked to, to, to this attorney and... Uh, uh, it's just a miserable thing, you know, at that, the way that he represented me or, di- or didn't, said he would. Mm-hmm. I gave, had to give him all the money. Yeah. And then he said, you got to plea. Yeah. And uh, I said, what do you mean I've got to plead? I said, I'm, I haven't done a damn thing. He says, oh, no, the feds never lose. Mm-hmm. And you got a couple days to decide. But basically they're saying they'll give you 51 months, and uh, which you serve 80% mm-hmm. of and stuff like that. Uh, or, and you can go to a camp, or if you go to trial, they're going to find you guilty and they're going to put you away for 15 years behind the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Or more. And it could be more, you know, because uh, they, they, they stack those charges. So, you know, they could take one charge of bank fraud and stack it 15 times. Oh, and you're talking to 20 years on each one. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's what they did with my restitution. Yeah. You know, they came up with a, with a restitution. So what are you thinking when that that hits you right over the head? Well, I mean, this this is now taking a year. But it it took them literally from the time that they came in my door. They asked for things. We gave them thirty. Me and my wife, my mm-hmm. wife and I, we made thirty thousand copies mm-hmm. of all these Everything bills, invoices, all yeah. these things that they were looking for, and turned them over to them over a couple month period. Mm-hmm. After two and a half months after that first contact, so a, a week after they got my last, yeah, you know, uh, page of the thirty thing, they file an indictment. And indict me for 10 counts of yeah. bank fraud. Yeah. And I'm just like absolutely floored. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you see investigations last years. And we were doing $25 million worth of business a year. Right. So how they came up with all those answers in that fast. That fast, it was it was incredible. And you, but your mind just starts spinning. Growing. And uh, I got into a point where I was trying to defend Were you having it. conversations with, it sounds like your wife was involved helping you with the business and doing the copies. She was there. helping with the, with, the, with the liquidation and it was just. So these know, must have been interesting conversations you guys were having about how this was all going down. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was, it, part of it is, uh, and I'll be the first to admit, I almost got into a catatonic state. Yeah. Because anything I touched was now all of a sudden from being, Everything I touched was good and successful. I lived a charmed life. Had a yeah. Had had a place in, in Naples, Florida, and yeah. and, and uh, could travel around the world. I even heard things. you used to be a decent golfer. I was a golfer. I played <laughs> two, three days a week yeah. where I could where I could play. Had fun. Yeah. Uh, at it, and uh, like I said, you know, it, it, it was it was a charmed yeah. life. I had built up some great value and equity and yeah. investments, but all of a sudden they were all gone. Yeah. Because there's things were praising. Yeah, everything was underwater. Nobody could sell yeah. uh, anything, and uh, uh, I just was sat back and just said, I, "I can't, I can't touch anything. I can't do anything." I came up with my defense in terms of telling my lawyer, "Look, here's case law. Mm-hmm. Explain everything to him, get him, and said, write this, you mm-hmm. know, letter, et cetera, et cetera." Uh, I mean, there's a there's a whole yeah. Please, story please help me. <laughs> yeah, you know, please help me. And then, then at the end, it's it comes and. Um, Decide that, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to just plead guilty. I'm going to plead guilty to one count. I did not pleading guilty to these other ones. Yeah. And um, it was where basically they said that I lied to the title company. Mm-hmm. And that's where the attorney said, well, you signed this affidavit that said all bills are paid or will be paid. Mm-hmm. 
to the title company, and which is true because we did that on every house we filed, we closed. For my tool career, my fire tool career, that same piece of paper. I'm going to fix your microphone because it sounds better when you get up there. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, I'm just, keep talking. Uh, we signed the same piece of paper for every house, every real estate transaction ever done. It signs that final affidavit to a title company. Yeah. Well, they said that uh, that because the title company, the, the person that bought the house, had a mortgage. And the mortgage was through a mortgage company that was owned by a bank. That is, and the bank relied the on the fraud. title company affidavit. That makes it bank fraud but because not fraud. all bills were paid. Yeah. And uh, so you're sitting there saying, well, okay, I, I signed that thing. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do that. Well, they came up and, and the person on that house actually wrote a letter of support for me to the judge. Mm -hmm. And she actually happened to be a vice president of the bank yeah. uh, on the thing. And it was a very nice letter that she wrote saying that she didn't think she felt hurt or injured or whatever. The bank lost nothing on the, house, yeah. on the loan, as it turns out, because the person paid their mortgage. The title company paid any bills that were outstanding. Right. So the title company did get hurt. But it wasn't – the bank didn't, never saw the final affidavit. The bank just said, can we get title insurance? Yeah. And they did get title they insurance. They did get title insurance. And, uh, but the, so they took that one thing with no loss, and they ended up turning it into a $13.5 million worth of restitution. Mm -hmm. And because they took the cost of any bills I had, let's just say 100000 or $50,000 outstanding on that house, they well, then said, okay, the customer got hurt for 50000 the bank got hurt for 50000 the contractor got hit for 50000 and the title company got hit for fifty thousand. That's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, and that's how they did. That's their, how they multiplied anything, it up. Anything the bank lost in value, they said, "Well, that's because of your fraud." We're going to multiply that. And uh, so it's so now I become when I go to the camp, thirteen and a half million dollars with the, with the restitution. I'm as evil as they'll find. Oh yeah, I'm 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 just one badass. Yeah, you know, there's me and the child rapers and the mother rapers yeah. and the father stabbers and mass murders and everything else, and, and I'm Ed. the one that everybody keeps away from because right. now I'm you're the Ed big guy restitution uh, yeah. guy. <laughs> so, so Ed, you you decide to plead, yeah, um, which I to this day still regret. Yeah, and uh, you and I have talked about that. Uh, what's what's life like? Is you? I mean, you went in, you you. You went to the courtroom and you had to plead guilty. Um, how much time did you have between the time you pled guilty and had to report? Uh, they did. I, I pled guilty in January. Yeah. And the, when I submitted 103 letters of support mm -hmm. to the court a couple of days before a sentencing hearing, yeah, the prosecutor went to the court and said. Somebody in his family got sick, and we postponed it for a couple months. Wow. So they postponed it, and in the meantime, the prosecutor said, we can get just as many letters. Just as many letters wanted, in reverse, yeah. But we, you know, we're not going to, but we could if we wanted to. Sure. And uh, so they did that in, uh, I think it was June. It's a lot of letters. Uh, it was a lot of letters. Yeah. The, 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 the Supreme Court said that the judge could pay attention to letters being written, particularly in this one case where over 12, where 12 letters were written. Mm -hmm. And the judge could do that and doing a downward departure, could pay attention to that. Yeah. That's how this. We got somebody calling Ed right now. Yeah. The, it's a judge. Let me see. Talk.
Um, the uh, but uh, yeah, it, it it was. So did you get? Do you had time? I guess to figure out. You know, I, I, what you finally found. I got out. my postcard. You got your postcard telling you where you're going. What was your thought about um, that? On that, and all of a sudden, it's Leavenworth. I was talking about Marion, which yeah. is right down the sure. street, or something like that, yeah. you know, around the corner. And yeah. I'd even, after sentencing, I'd even went to a guy that had been at Marion yeah. to his restaurant and just had a bunch of scotches, and I don't drink. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, or Maker's Market was at the time, and he was just sitting there going, holy cow, and I'm just, you know, a tonic. And uh, I get the postcard saying I'm going to Leavenworth, yeah. and I start trying to learn a little bit about Leavenworth. Right. And there's not much you can learn. No. You go on site and you sort of see a layout of the camp, and you read up, there's one book out, yeah. but not much, and so I don't know what to do. I've never spent a day in, the only time I spent in jail in my life was in eighth grade, I went on a field trip with myself and a guy named Eric Horhold. Uh, <laughs> as a so- social studies project to, to tour the St. Louis City Workhouse. Oh, my gosh. And uh, You were in eighth grade? In eighth grade. That was wow. my social science project that wow. took on and everything else. And so I at least saw... The feel of it. A, a feel of it, but I don't have a slightest idea what I'm getting, what I'm getting into. And so the, so the, the, uh, the day of... You get there. How how did you get there? I got there. My my wife uh, drove me up there, okay. and I had a lunch. Real, we got to be there by one o'clock. Right. I had a lunch at at uh, at Arby's because I knew it'd be the last yeah. time I had that night. I had had a good meal, didn't sleep too well, and we get up and you see the big. You know, house. I don't know if everybody knows that Arby's is Arby's America's roast beef. Yes, sir. I just saw that the other day. And I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can believe That's that. That's a terrible way to screw up your story there. So anyway, oh, yeah. you, 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 you drive pull up. up to this, and there's a big circular drive yeah. where you see this big dome and stairs leading up to this uh, prison and everything else. And a lot of stairs. You got double row razor wire fencing surrounding this thing and guard tire towers, and uh, you're looking at a wall on the side of this thing that's about 35 feet tall. Yeah. And supposedly it's 30 feet in the ground. Yeah. And this is, I mean, the prison of prisons. And you're just like, holy cow. And I get out of the car in this circuit drive, and a guard comes up and says, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm here to report. Mm-hmm. He says, well, come on over to the gate. I said, well, let me say goodbye to my wife or whatever. And so I went and gave my wife a kiss and a hug goodbye and everything else. And I walk up and you go under into the bowels. Yeah. You don't go up the steps. No. Like a real person. No, no. You go through the gate into the portal mm-hmm. where you go down into the cellar. Mm-hmm. What did it feel like with the gates opening and closing behind you? It was, there's a surreal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, literally surreal. It, 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 it's, it's, you march in, there was four of us. That uh, he ended up bringing in, you know, together that we you know, congregated out outside, and um, uh, you walk in, and um, the gate closing is not that bad because it's just a fence mm-hmm. rattling and closing or whatever. You go into the big house, and there's a big door that slams, you know, behind you, and it's all concrete. Mm-hmm. That actually, when I worked for the masonry department, we ended up replacing the floor tiles in there. Yeah, you know, a year and a half later. Uh, but uh, you go in there and it's just stark, and they strip you down. 
uh, is your naked, you know, squat and spread so mm-hmm. they can look up, you know, look up your ass and make sure you're not coming in with something. Yeah. And it's very humiliating. And then you're put into a box. Now, luckily with us, because I'd heard of guys that spent three months up there. Yeah. Because it was overcrowded. Uh, the camp counselor uh, came up and within two hours. Okay. So you didn't we were driving. We were driving down to, yeah. uh, to the camp. Uh, so it was, uh, it was incredible just walking in through the visiting room. Now, mind you, it's 112 degrees outside in an August 10th mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. It is a clear sky, no wind, and it's 112 and the camp has no air conditioning, right? No heat. Well, it's got heat sort of, but no <laughs> air conditioning, terrible windows. So you're literally 115, 120 inside. inside. Right. I mean, it's, it, you, you, people have no idea, no concept what that's like yeah. because the brick walls keep and retain all the heat and everything yeah. else. It's, 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 it's incredible. And you walk in to this thing and you've got on these, these, these shoes that are work boots and they're not good. Uh, they're heavy as hell with steel tip toes. Yeah. And, um, you, uh, they walk us up to our thing. At the time, ours was different than yours. That the B2, the mm-hmm. back of B2, was for all new arrivals. Okay. And so there's a couple guys up there that were old timers that were, you know, they got the guy that, you know, would oversee that, that area or whatever, and some of the nicest guys or whatever. But you walk up there, and it's just a big room with 32 bunks. Yeah. And then there's a bathroom, and then behind there's 36 bunks yeah in a thing and now you said okay here's your here's your bunk yeah you're just like holy shit as you're dripping sweat and everything else and you're sitting on 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 your mattress and then they walk you down the laundry room i heard you talking about going downstairs in the bowels (laughs) of of the thing you go past the latin tv room you know the the mexican um, uh, tv room into the cage and you get your 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 linens and stuff and um so i get up there and uh, I'm sitting in my bed or whatever, just freaking out. Mm-hmm. This is a, just a miserable thing. Well, your your world feels so small at that time because you have a bed, a chair, and a locker. That's what your world's shrunk to. That's all you got. Yeah. I mean, I you know I've gone from, from yeah. big houses and, and this and that and, and you know nice cars. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I've got nothing but nothing. a locker. Yeah. And my and my cot. Yeah. And um, on the thing and well, there's a guy <laughs> slim. Also took the bunk bunk above me. Okay. And there's a black guy from the city of St. Louis and everything else, a young kid, about 20, 21 years old or whatever, and, yeah. you know, into, you know, drugs or whatever. And he had a big gold tooth and everything else. And he looks down at me, you know, over the over the bed. He just says, and I just want to tell you, take it easy. You'll be okay. Okay. Because I'm just like, I, yeah. I, I think I'm openly sobby. I don't know. I, I you know, I'm just. I, <laughs> Things it, have never it, been quite It is bad. the most surreal yeah. experience you can ever imagine. Yeah. I get up and I uh, st- start walking around to try to find out, you know, what's what's where. Yeah. And a guy that's uh, in the front of B2 sits there and he says, are you Ed Levinson? Oh, no. And I said. Yeah, yeah. How do you know? I said, well, because my, my parents told me you were coming. They they were just at your estate sale. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was going, what are you talking about? He said, oh, yeah, my parents, they live over here, and 
and you were having an estate sale because you were moving out of your house. I said, yeah, I've lost everything. I yeah. so they said, oh, yeah, they were just there. They said you had some really nice stuff and everything. And <laughs> oh they met your wife. She was really nice. And oh. everything. I said, oh, my God, okay. So, and he helped me. And he gave me a padlock. And yeah. so now I've got, you know, something. Somebody's helping me get set up. And then I start, then I go downstairs and I walk and there's the cafeteria area. Yeah. And all, I comes out the door of the cafeteria areas. I'm walking, you know, in a catonic stink like the zombie or, or, you know, some zombie sort of limping along and just in a daze. And he goes, hey, are you Tom Levinson's brother? Oh, my God. And I said, what? Yes. I, 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 you know, he said, I said, how do you, do you know, what do you, he said, oh, you, you just look like him. I like Tom. Tom's a friend of mine. I said, oh, wow. He says, hey, do you need any soda? Let me get you some. He takes me up to his place and he's. You know, breaks it in. Gene, what was his name? It was a super nice guy. Helps you out. And helps you out. And then I met Max, who was, you know, with the um, – Max might have still been there when you were. He's an older guy that, that, that helped with the church and everything else, yeah. and they give you some uh, – Toiletries. Some toiletries and stuff like that, and, and you start working. And um, at least I start feeling – like somebody, you're tr- starting to feel like people are going to help you to help yeah. get set up. Yeah, I mean, I knew that. that, that you don't know. The way that I, that, that I was in school and everything else, I was a social scientist. I studied political science, yeah. urban studies, yeah. sociology, economics, and history, and stuff like that. I've studied the criminal justice system. Yeah. I, I know people can adapt. Yeah. And I'm ready to adapt and everything else. But this is just. It's a big one. <laughs> A big one, a big one, and you're and, and you're sweating. It's the most miserable experience when yeah. you've got 115 degrees, yeah, uh, in, in your thing. And you're just you know sweating your butt off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it was a, it was a hell of a shocker. So you get into this, and you get somewhat set up, Ed. You because I remember you were telling me that you worked. Um, was it the paint shop? Was I started out in masonry? Masonry, so. As you were getting, what, how long did it take for you to feel like, talking about adapting, mm-hmm. that you begin to feel like, okay, I'm starting to understand how I'm going to live here? Well, it number one, there's, you know, Chris and a, a few of the people there were very kind. Mm-hmm. And I was also a cigarette smoker. Mm-hmm. And... Cigarette pro smoker. You guys were everywhere. Well, it, it's it's it, the cigarette smoker in prison is like the pot smokers in high school. Yeah, exactly. We knew who each other were. We could always count on each other. We wouldn't tell on each other, right. and you always had something to talk about. Exactly. And so we would get together, and yeah. and, and Chris, and we're smoking in the back stairwell, fire yeah. stairwell, because it truly wasn't allowed, but it was. From the standpoint, it depends on who, what prison guard was on, but they didn't really like to mess with it. Well, it depends not only what prison guard or whatever, but it depends what prison. Yeah. Because I later got transferred, and while I got caught in Leavenworth a couple times, yeah, at no big deal, and even my CO boss at yeah. the paint shop and everything else, they knew that we were smoking, we were smoking. At Pekin, where I got transferred a year and a half later, yeah. Uh, they found some and threw me in uh, solitary confinement in the hole for 21 days. That's different. Uh, for tobacco, yeah. which is, you know, just... Wasn't quite as big a deal at Leavenworth as it, it was. It was not a quite a big, big deal <laughs> at, at Leavenworth. But uh, it was... Uh, that helped with the camaraderie of, 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 of feeling where you had a, 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 group. a sense of belonging group. Yeah. 
And um, I also had a determination that uh, uh, my wife was going to visit hopefully in another, you know, couple months, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to get in touch with her. Yeah. Didn't know how, didn't know how to get money. And this guy yeah. who gave me the lock, his parents called yeah. her to say, this is what you can do or whatever. Yeah. And um, uh, I was also overweight. I'd never been happy. And I determined that I was going to get in shape. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was 270 pounds, 280 pounds when I went in. And I got down over a three-month period, I got down to two and a quarter. Okay. Because I wanted to look good for my wife. Yeah. You know, that's when she also came and said, unless you can transfer this, I'll never talk to you again. Wow. And that's so. Okay. That didn't work too well because that was the last time that I talked to her for, 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 for several years. <laughs> that wasn't a good talk. <laughs> no, that wasn't, it wasn't a good talk. But, no. uh, but that had, how did you, how did you deal with that? Because that would have had to have been, I mean, we talk about this on this podcast. There's hard days in prison. Uh, knowing that you you and your wife were not going to be seeing each other or visits, how did you how did you work through that? That was it was brutal. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. Um, about a month after I got indicted, my mother passed away, mm-hmm. and my father was in his late 80s and not doing too well and everything else. And uh, how did he handle your situation? He was, it was almost a denial, yeah. but it was the type of thing where where my family, uh, members of my family realized, thought about the fact that my father really missed my mom when she passed. And, yeah. um, he was he was ready, uh, but he was holding on until I got out. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, I got out, uh, had back surgery, so that got me out of the halfway house. I went over and stayed with him for about a month and a half. Uh, before he passed. Oh, well, that's, and I didn't know that. Like, so my, at least my, you my did. My sister said, she yeah. said, she said. He willed himself to. Dad was yeah. waiting for you. Wow. And, uh, uh, but so it's, uh, there's a, a loneliness like you can never imagine. And yeah. I had a visit from some guys, um, uh, later some other builders and, and uh, some guys that came up together from, from, uh, from St. Louis. It was very nice to see him and, when I'm there, uh, they said, you know, we just wanted to let you know that when you were going through all this, mm-hmm. the FBI came to my office. One guy told me, he came to my office, and they said, if you tell anybody that we've talked to you, we will charge you with obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. That said, scares people. So literally, I found out now why nobody, t- I mean, literally yeah. everybody, you're They're shut scared off from to everybody. Death, right. And uh, uh, then you, you you find out they're protecting themselves, but it, it, it's a, it's a it's a lonely. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's strange too, Ed. You know, you and I probably haven't ever talked about this, but being in prison, you're around all these people with four hundred some odd people. But what you're saying is too is it's as lonely as you can be too. Uh, you're with people all the time, but it's a very lonely feeling. You're in a, I was in a room with 36 guys in bunks and just in an area that was maybe 20 by 20 yeah. uh, uh, feet. And you are, you're, 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 you're lonely. Now you, you develop some good friends. You do. And talk about that. Talk, Cause I know you were a guy that, uh, cause I, there were some people I knew that were there talking. You were the funny guy. Well, I, <laughs> they, they enjoyed you. I mean, it, 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 it was, it was the type of thing where, where I, I looked at it as a social scientist, what I would see yeah. it, 
and I saw all the characters and there were <laughs> that you knew through history. Yeah. And I even identified that there was people that, that if you remember the Cosby show, the Cosby, yeah. Bill Cosby and the Cosby uh -huh. kids. Yeah. And they had a, every one of those characters is represented in prison. Yeah. You had fat Albert. Yeah. Or, or fat Albert in the Cosby kids. You had fat Albert at both prisons. I was at. Yeah. Was the big heavy set guy that had the bunk in the corner that controlled all the contraband and had a great laugh yeah. and everything else. You didn't mess with them, but you yeah. still jovial. You yeah. had the guy Donald that couldn't talk, you yeah. know, or you know that would sit there and oddly about the. But <laughs> you had another guy that was a lanky basketball player, yeah. you know, that would just yeah. always. But you had all these various characters. Yeah, I even had the friend. I even had. And I, it was amazing. The um, uh, the uh, uh, prince from uh, right coming to America, yeah, where Eddie Murphy comes and mm -hmm. he's the the Nigerian prince yeah. and everything else, and he gets there. And at Leavenworth, you we had this one guy, and he's talking like this. I can't believe that they did this to me. It was, <laughs> I, I I mean, I was driving down the street, and the police come and take me. And what kind of country is this? <laughs> and 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 he's there, and you know they talk loud and everything yeah. else, and. I go to to uh, to Pekin, yeah. and there's the there's the, the same. same guy coming out of Africa. Not the same guy, but the same yeah. thing. This one, they actually it was at Leavenworth that uh, he was talking on the phone with his brother-in-law, and he's going, "What do you mean you can't send me my money? That you know you send me my money because when I get out, I I'm, I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get you if I come out." Well, that day. The cops listened to all the calls. Yeah. They heard him threatening his brother. They couldn't, took yeah. him away and threw him in a medium or maximum security. Nobody saw him again. That was it. Two weeks later, we had a new, we, we had a new uh, prince from Nigeria. Oh, my God. I mean, they literally replaced these people. <laughs> as characters. As, as, as characters. And, yeah. But I sat back and I looked and I realized, you know what? If I look at these people mm -hmm. and just observe it, there's a great deal of humor. Oh, yeah. And I even wrote letters on my computer. I'd send out, you know, there's there's 12 people or 20 people you can put on your yeah. computer thing. I set out a weekly or monthly newsletter, you know, what's happening. All the and characters. Whatever news and what you saw. And that's why I was able to, to talk about uh, the one guy, uh, my buddy Ron, the bank robber. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about Ron. <laughs> Ron, was, Ron was, was, was incredible. Ron was a 75-year-old man. Uh, thin, but he was in good shape. He's been down for 25 years. He'd been in all the big houses and everything. And Ron would tell the story about how we did the orientation and Bulldog, the CEO in charge of it, would sit there and he'd sit there with a group of people in there in the, in the orientation rooms, you know, saying, welcome to camp. And he'd say, okay, tell me what you did on the outside. What got you in here? What are you going to do when you get out? And he'd go to somebody and he'd say, well, I was an electrician. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, I got involved with meth and, you know, got 15 years or I got five years. And, and when I get out, I'm going to go back and be an electrician, electrician. And, be, and be a good father. Right. You know, everybody's going to be a good father when mm -hmm. they get out. Um, you know, the same stories. And uh, you go to the next guy. And, well, I was a car salesman. And they got to Ron. And Ron says, he says, well, what you do when, you know, before you got in? He said, oh, I was a bank robber. <laughs> He says, well, okay, but, I mean, what did you do work? He said, oh, no, I was a bank robber. Just a bank robber. He says, well, what are you going to do when you get out? He says, I'm, I'm a bank robber. That's what I do. <laughs> and um, But Ron was the nicest guy who'd say, good morning, Eddie, and how are you? And we'd smoke cigarettes together and everything else. One morning, Ron wakes up. 
ran after count at five o'clock in the morning. They come around, shine flashlights in everybody's yeah. eyes, and he he gets up after count. He goes over to his jacket. He gets his his jacket. And he gets out his, his his. He's got a pouch of tobacco in there, and he's going to go out for work in the fields and the you know uh, in, in the, the garden in the garden, and he walks through the double gates, you know, razor wire of Leavenworth, and uh, you know just walks off the thing. A truck goes by and. From the garage, from some inmates, and they say, "Ron, you want to ride?" He said, "No, no, I'm fine. It's a beautiful day." Well, Ron just walked off. <laughs> he just left. He just left. <laughs> he had three years left out of a 25 year bit, <sighs> and he was on the downhill side, and he just left. At four o'clock, they do the count, and, he's and Ron's gone. So they have a lockdown now That's for a couple always days. Horrible. And uh, just, Ron just walked up, and I, you know, and, and the thing is, and this is the first time in my life that I swear I ever rooted for the bank robber. <laughs> you wanted Ron to make I, it. I, God, I, want, such I, a hope, nice guy. I hope Ron made it. He's such a great guy. I mean, you know, this there's some bank robber. He's <laughs> been in forever. He's been in, you know, been in forever. Yeah, Poor guy and everything, and just super nice. But um, I would sit there and I'd do right in the thing. I'd say, yeah, this, you know, this, this past week, Ron, the bank robber, and I'd get back from <laughs> one friend off. of mine who's a banker, you know, and, and I said, so I, you know, Ron, the bank robber, is, you know, get there. And then my buddy writes back, you know, one of them writes back. And he says, he says oh, Eddie, that's terrible. <laughs> this bank robber, I hope they get the guy. And I said, no, no. I, <laughs> we're rooting for him. We're <laughs> rooting for him. But I, I started looking at it and writing the Leavenworth Gazette, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, to my, I'm you know, sure they enjoyed uh, that. Friends and family and stuff like that. And, and people enjoy it, but it was also good for me. Yeah, because it kept things in perspective, kept humor. Well, I think that's a good strategy. I, you know, we I was going to laugh the whole time. Well, no, I mean, we haven't really uh, talked a lot about that, but that handling hard days or handling prison life, uh, looking at the humor you could find in it, and then sharing that with people that you knew and getting feedback from that was. Probably a pretty good strategy. My favorite movie of all time, one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time, was the movie Airplane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we and it's just that. that every minute and every second of that movie, there's a, there's a joke. Yeah. There's a laugh about yeah. something. There's some mockery of something. Yeah. And I took that same attitude when I was looking at the situation mm-hmm. that we're in and trying to find... Find some humor in it. Because you know what? As, as human beings, we can, we, can, we can overcome adversity. Yeah. We can always... Do well and everything else, and 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 and. Um. Isn't it strange, Ed, that you know uh, when you go through something that we're, we're talking about, uh, your first day, you sit there and your mind's spinning, and you're you know this is the worst that I, I've hit the bottom of the bottom, but it, it is amazing how you start stepping into it, and you step a little bit more into it, and you start adapting, and then it's it's not nearly as bad as what your mind made it out to be. Isn't that weird? You're you have this this thing that you you that overwhelms your mind and it scares the shit out of you. But as you step into it, you're like, I can do this, and it's it's horrible, but it's not as bad. as I don't know if, it, if 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 it's not as bad as as you thought it would be because it really is. It's bad. It it it, it, it is uh, horrible conditions. You don't get health care. Yeah. We were living in mold, mildew, rot. Uh, There's fire. I mean, I know the building codes. And there was it. fire codes, building codes. A lot of problems. That were in violations of everything. Yeah. People would die yeah. in, in, in that building, literally, um, yeah. if there was uh, something that happened. 
You're treated like animals. Yeah. Uh, you're just a number. Yeah. Uh, sort of like from La Miserable when you're, you know, you're a prisoner 51320. You yeah. know, it's, 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 that's all you are yeah. on there. So, yeah, it is as bad. I guess what but, I'm saying is. But is we that, adapt. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to say is that you find that you can adapt to just about anything. Mm-hmm. And then in that world, you're adapting that you are surviving in a way that you didn't even contemplate before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, it's 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 much akin to, to, to Tom Hanks in the in the movie um, uh, when he's stranded. Uh, oh, Castaway. Castaway. Yeah. You know when he meets Wilson, volleyball, a volleyball, yeah. and he adapts yeah. to, and this becomes life and everything else. Well, I mean, it really, yeah. in some instances, is that, yeah. Drastic, and yeah. and 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 how everyday life now is is changed. But you you're 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 no longer a a person, but you are in some of the people that you that you met. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had some friends uh, like Ghost Bear mm-hmm. was a Lakota Sioux, mm-hmm. a short little guy, stocky as hell, was tough, uh, and we would walk mm-hmm. and. Um, just uh, go and spend the day walking the walking the, the, the fence line back yeah. and forth. Yeah. Where I walk some days from anywhere from you know from a mile to to fifteen miles a yeah. day uh, on the thing and and just well, it was so much better than being inside. Oh yeah, it was better than being inside. But but some of the people were just yeah. Uh, as not I met, I met the um, former mayor of. Uh, uh, of uh, New Orleans, there's a little uh, town out or a, a city outside of New Orleans, Sidon, uh, what was it, Sidon or whatever, but um, well known that uh, was their mayor, Mayor Mayor Eddie. Yeah. And, you know, he's a smoker, but we would sit there and talk and joke and everything else. And um, interesting guy. I had one guy that came in and he got towards the end of my time at Leavenworth before I uh, tra- got transferred, and he's caddy corner. To, to where I am, new talk, you know, guy, and I walk over to him. I just said, Welcome to Leavenworth, you know, I'm Ed, and everything else. He said, Oh, are you Ed Levinson? And I said, Yeah. How do you? He said, My father in law was your banker. Oh, my God. Jim said to say hello, and he thought that you were a great guy. Small he was to do it. And then I became great friends with Tim, you yeah. know, with this guy, Tim, and uh, uh, and, his, and his wife, and everything else were. were, were Always, you know, very, very nice and everything else. And you get into card games yeah. that you, with your group and you're yeah. watching TV. And yeah. You know, you do, you create relationships to survive. And those relationships are also are, are part of your routine. Mm-hmm. And when those people leave. You had your car. Yeah, you have your car, uh, which is what they call the people you hang around in prison. And, and uh, that's, they, they help you do your time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it, it was also fascinating. There were, there was people that were. Some people, like one guy in particular, I remember the Main Street apartment. Uh, you know that was that was there when we were working on the Warren's house, and and he said, "Sir, he says, he says what were so, you guys doing at the Warden's house?" Well, it was the old Warden's house, the original yeah. one. We re- literally rebuilt it, rebuilt the Warden's we rehabbed house. the whole building, yeah. gut rehab, yeah. and created law offices. The uh, inmates, for the inmates, <laughs> created the law offices for the for the for the yeah. staff, but uh, uh, the. Uh, 
I was gonna say, was what that? would they do without the inmates? Because the inmates do everything on the the campus of the oh oh everything. Prison. It, it's incredible. Yeah, it what is. happens? I mean, you guys were talking the other day about the hamburger franchise yeah. and stuff like that. We had, <laughs> you know, Cisco did our you know yeah. hamburgers on the on the things. He you know the fall off the truck. Yeah, it falls from uh, from the warehouse yeah. food warehouse and. And get its way back, and you'd have cheeseburger. You'd have yeah. cheese on your cheeseburger and some onions that they would find. Live in real life. Uh, people on Friday, that was that yeah. was a, a big thing to 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 um, to buy it. But in, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. Tell me about when you started getting close to the door. You had short time. What what did you start thinking about as far as what what your life was going to be like getting out? I knew that I could overcome anything mm-hmm. and any adversity, um, and you would just make do with it. Mm-hmm. I learned that, you know, I can I can sleep in a uh, and live in a eight by ten foot cell, mm-hmm. and don't get out for twenty four hours a day. Yeah, and you know, uh, and and the whole you can learn live and adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was counting the days down. I was in the RDAP program also, which is, you know, the the U.S. attorney didn't want me to get. Yeah. Even though they caught me with some cocaine in my system, mm-hmm. he was just this, this, the, this U.S. attorney was. Well, I don't want to get you a year off, but I mean, that, that program is a nine month program. This is a mis- miserable guy, but I got it. Yeah, I got him there. And, and uh, so you're working and you, and you've, and you've got your, your graduation ceremony and everything mm-hmm. else. And, and I was quote unquote selected as the torchbearer by the group before to be the, the thing. So I had a special speech I had to make and yeah. to to the group. And so you're thinking about that. You're thinking about the excitement of getting out, but you but you don't know. I and when I when I got out, um, I wasn't going to make any waves mm-hmm. at all. I was going to meet you know my probation officer, do whatever they said, get the job, not try to get any special favors or, mm-hmm. or anything else, and. Uh, I remember the, the thing when I, when I, I got picked up at the, um, at level at, at Pekin at the thing by my daughter and a good friend of mine, uh, who's an attorney and drove up with her and, um, got back and went to the halfway house, which is in worse place than any prison you can go to. It's the oldest halfway house in the United States. Oh yeah. And there was literally, when I was at work one day, uh, somebody went outside the halfway house got in a car with her girlfriend and somebody pulled up, got out of their car, blocked him off and shot him with an AK 47, 47 times into the mm-hmm. windshield in the right in front of my window. Right if I would have been in the building, I would have been looking out and seeing it. And that's what they did at Cope brilliant. And, yeah. And uh, a very bad area of town, and, and a horrible area of town. But uh, how long were you there? Uh, I was there only a couple months because I ended up going to work and yeah. my back went out Yeah, and I had to get back surgery and so they, needless to say, I'm, I go in for surgery and the doctor said I couldn't do anything with steps and, and sleeping on the ground. I had to, you know, be, be raised up and they couldn't do it. So they made arrangements and let me go to my dad's. But the, but the point is, is that when I first met the, uh, my parole officer, she sits there and talks to this one guy and this one guy named Cody says, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to, uh, you can trust me. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to do anything. And she said, Cody, let me tell you something. You shot a pistol, an automatic pistol, into a playground filled with children. Right. 
So you think I'm just going to turn my back and trust you that you're going to do, you know, yeah. you, you, you did that. Now, this is who I'm in with, and I'm getting treated the exact same by yeah. her. No, it's exactly. It's him. Yeah. It's, it's, she hates yeah. Yeah. everybody. Right. Uh, on the thing. And so it was, um, it was uh, 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 something where you did not want to rock a boat. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be, they could pull you back and throw you back in prison or whatever. I didn't want to get violated with anything. Well, they scare you with that. I mean, oh, it, yeah. the, I mean, even to the point of getting there to the halfway house, they tell you if you're late, uh, that they could send you back. Oh yeah. You know, if so. you're late and drug tests yeah. and everything else yeah. on, on, on the thing. So it was just, uh, you know, if you, if you're not working, yeah. Um, then you get thrown back in. And no, I, it's it's. I uh, shared a room at the halfway house with a guy that knew he was going back and actually did get hauled back in. Yeah. You know, because he would go out and when he had time to to get a, to get away or whatever, yeah. and just get stoned out of his mind yeah. with, with anything and everything. Great guy though. Talk, t- turned me on to Big Bang Theory. I never watched Big Bang Theory until. I got to tell you that. <laughs> what, do, I don't know if you were in the basement of that Dismas house, but. Um, that's where, when I got there, there was all these bunk beds in this basement. It was hotter than hell. And there was only me and another guy down there. And he'd just gotten there that day. So I thought, well, maybe this isn't going to be so bad because, you know, the, there was, I think, what, three stories to that place yeah. or four stories. And so I'm in the basement of this place. And about two or three in the morning, the lights come on and all the, all the bad boys from St. Genevieve who have been sent to that bad place put them back into the dismiss yeah, house. Yeah, that's because the jail is it? And, man, was that a trip. And scary, too, because oh, yeah. these were the bad guys. And you just, again, you're, you know, you're, you're the excitement of getting out of prison. You're put back into the mindset of, man, i got to adapt all over again right here, right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, um, the humiliation and uh, that you that you – feel mm-hmm. that you get and um you're you're ostracized i mean and that's one of the things that's haunted me since i've been out to in terms of that my own demons that i had to plead guilty or i pled guilty to being a committing bank fraud yeah never in my life did i ever want to hurt anybody or cheat anybody out of anything right you know and you had a lot of pride in what you built i had up a lot business. of pride i ran for the city council got yeah. elected by a huge margin against an incumbent yeah um uh, got elected you know a couple times i was on boards commissions and mm-hmm. did all sorts of things and now i here i am i've i'm an admitted fraud mm-hmm. and it still to this day affects me because, you know, well, why would anybody trust me? Right. You know, here I am, you know, there. I did, did talk to somebody about possibly getting a job, job at Morgan, and they said, well, you can't because you're, you committed a felony. I talked yeah. to one gal uh, when I was, you know, out and everything else, and she knew all about my story. I knew, you know, and she was crying that I got mistreated because she, you know, knew, you know, heard about it and mm-hmm. everything else. And, um, and I said, well, let's go out, you know, for, you know, for drinks. And she said, yeah. And then the, the next day I talked to, her, talked to her and she says, you know what? I work at a stock brokerage mm-hmm. and I can't go out with somebody that committed bank fraud. Yeah. I can't be seen. So it's just like. You just, live with it as a life sentence. That's the thing. that you, you, you have to learn that you have to adapt to that. Uh, once you've decided that you're going to step into that world to be uh, somebody who please, pleads, and then you've know that you're going to live that life, you have to almost come up with a strategy to how do you, how do you live that life 
as an ex-felon because there was a there, uh, somebody was telling me a story the other day about a guy who came back. He's gotten involved with this church over here in West County, and he wanted to be a greeter at the church. And they do background. It's a big church. And they do background checks on the uh, uh, people who work or volunteer. And uh, they wouldn't allow him to be a greeter. So that's even within, that's not in business. That's, that's in this church and personal life. So, you know, obviously there should be different levels of how you see somebody. You know, like you just said, somebody that shot into a, you know, or maybe killed somebody or shot into a playground. It's a little bit different than, than a nonviolent type deal of somebody trying to have lunch or, or go to a church and, and greet. So I think, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. There needs to be some strong tweaks for people to get back into society, to be a part of society. What's One of the things that's fascinating in that world is the guy that shot into the playground. Yeah. The bank robber. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the people like that have a certain stature, level of respect, and you just you mm-hmm. just don't mess with the dudes. You, you, you give them some respect and everything else. Right. The white-collar guys are really, in many respects, looked down on by the prison population. Yeah. Because how could that crook? That crook stole from my grandma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's the one that was living the big life and thought that he could get by, and he's the privileged one, et cetera, et cetera. And so you really, it's, 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 it's literally like the Alice's Restaurant song, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you're looking down the bench, yeah. you know, and everybody slides away from you. The, well, and I think that's why, bench. you know, in, in, in prison, you know, eventually you create relationships of people and they get to know you. Uh, they can make their own decision. But I agree with you that that is a stigma that, that you carry um, being in business. Well, and, and, and then you carry it out. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. thing. Although a lot of people have told me, Eddie, it doesn't make a difference. When I worked at the car dealership, yeah. I was talking to the owner, you know, basically offered me the job. And I said, you know, I really don't know anything about selling cars. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not really a salesman. I did that. He says, and, and the guy had actually been one of my bankers before yeah. I went in that owned the dealership. And he said, Eddie, he said, you know how to treat customers. Yeah. That's all that counts. Yeah. You know how to treat customers. I think you got ripped off. Yeah. There's no reason you should have gone with you through. I'd love to have you working for us. And I thought that was really nice. Well, and he did Uh, a good job too. I mean, you know, that, that you didn't know anything about that business, but you built a reputation because you were given an opportunity. You know, that's, that's the thing that I guess that's what I'm talking about is, is legitimate opportunities. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were talking about the other day, they were having a hard time getting people to work. And they they created this job fair for ex-felons. And they said that the people who were interviewed after that that put on this job fair said they couldn't believe how uh, much gratitude they got from these ex-felons that they're really actually having a real opportunity oh, yeah. to be interviewed. Oh, yeah. So there, there's, there is a needing to be a coming together of understanding. You know, a lot of these guys are, you know, they're trying to get jobs and the probation officers making it impossible for him to get to the job, you know, and then, then they're saying you have to have a job, but then it's impossible to get to the job because of the things you're putting on. And then when you have a job, your halfway house gets half or a quarter of what you make. So you have to give them a check right up on my restitution. I have to take out, you know, of any check. So it's trying to get ahead. Yeah. Uh, 
it's 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 hard. It's it's a it's a it, you know it, it is a and it, that's something that the more understanding I think the more there is that people would say well we we need to tweak it a little bit. We need well, to I mean, it. it's also it's also one of the things where and I thought I thought of you in your situation in that regard where where um, uh, I've got a thing on bank fraud. I was in the building business. I did this and that. Your family and your father went in and got charged because he sold insurance even though he got he he had a fraud thing before and yeah. shouldn't have been able to right and now he's paying a price for something that you would think because he went to work yeah in a particular industry and now i'm looking at myself and i'm going wait a second if i go in and if i try to build something yeah number one can i do it with a bank right number two how can i look an investor in the eye right but number two, three, if I did it, would they throw me in jail and say, no, you're not allowed to be in this business? Right. You don't know. You don't know. You, you don't know. And to find out, you really have to get a lot of legal research. Which costs money. Which costs money that yeah. you don't have because you lost it all. Yeah. Uh, on the thing. So it's, 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 it's an incredible. Uh, it is. Uh, cycle or whatever. It's a, it's a cycle. And it, there's some things, uh, you know, that could create more opportunities that, that could could limit the recidivism of, of the reason why it's so easy oh, to get back. If, they, if, if, if they wouldn't have come after me and everything else and like in prior recessions and mm-hmm. stuff, I could have gotten everybody paid back, yeah. you know, as I right. waited on the time and, and, and did it. And, and some people uh, were given that opportunity. Did, at, oh, you know, some that, people were, were a, always given that opportunity. Know, it's only a few people they selected out of the thing. And then there were gigantic corporations that were allowed to skate through the giant corporations, the one, the other people that were allowed to escape were I made the one mistake yeah. was in terms of that prior people when they were so far upside down on a piece of property, yeah, they would walk into the bank and they'd say, you know what, take it back, yeah, because you know there's no way, and 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 they, the bank would say, no, no, let's yeah, work, we'll work this it out. out, yeah, okay. With me, the bank was able to take it back and sell the property for more than yeah. I owed, yeah, and. And I think that's the thing. If there's a workout on something, it should be worked out. Throwing somebody in prison uh, is such a, a complete life changer for yeah. families. You know, it doesn't just affect the person who's who's going to prison. It affects layers of people around you. And, you know, those people get hurt. And that's, you know, something that – I know you've you've been able to stay close to your daughter – I mean, in fact, tell me about that because you've been out and about, and I know she's out in Arizona. Right. Uh, I see pictures of you with her. Yeah. That tell, that's got to be something that's really good in your life. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it, the one of the biggest things was 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 missing her, missing her high school graduation. Yeah. Uh, missing getting her her first car. Yeah. Because uh, those are life that, moments you miss. Those are life moments that that um, that you miss. Um, uh, I talked to her, I would talk to her weekly. Every mm-hmm. week I would uh, talk to her. I would talk to my father yeah. when I was uh, in prison. And for the most part, that was what, you know. That was your connection to. My connection to, to the real world and everything else. And yeah. um, uh, Suzanne, uh, when we got out, she, she is marvelous. She's fantastic. The way that she's, um, she's independent. She's... Um, uh, a smart person. She's got a great personality, great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets it from her dad. She's bossy as hell, yeah. <laughs> uh, which she gets from her mother. It was it was one of the things that when she was born, I mean, it was like she was one or two years old and started bossing us around. And I'm not going to do And I'm going, 
you know, this is nothing where they're taught. Yeah. It's genetics. It's DNA. It's in DNA. And uh, she moved out to um, to Phoenix. She said, you know, I don't want to go out here unless you, you know you do. And I said, no, yeah. no. Yeah. I never had the opportunity. I never took advantage of the opportunity to move out sure. of town for in a whole new city for yeah. years, except for a couple of years in, at uh, uh, University of Missouri. And um, she went out there with her uh, boyfriend, who is now her fiance, and uh, uh, they both got their jobs and everything else, and meeting people, and got a house, and that's great. Doing marvelous, and I'm going to go out and actually visit her for for, for Thanksgiving. That's uh, great for the holiday, and uh, I'm I'm proud as punch. Proud. You know, yeah. you 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 really are. It's 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 no, it's great. And I, Ed, it, you know, wrapping things up. What haven't I asked you, or what if there's anything you'd want to part impart to the listeners? about you or your feelings about things? Well, it's, I was disappointed in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. in terms of how it worked. Uh, but it is what it is mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, it's, um, it's amazing how we adapt to situations. And there's people that are, that you see in prison that, um, be there uh, for years, and that's the only thing they know. They're institutionalized. But there's there's other guys like like somebody, a guy named Fish, mm-hmm. that spent 20 years behind the wall. Now he made it to the camp, mm-hmm. which means he's less than 10 years out the door, and if if not sooner. And you would walk in this uh, this one black guy, and he'd sit on the bench looking out at the fence, out at the road, and he just stares, <laughs> sitting by himself. And I and I sat down. I Talked to him. I said, "What's he?" He says, "He says you got to understand, man." He said, "I did a bunch of stuff when I was, you know, uh, out." He said, "But uh, I've been in behind the wall for the last twenty years. I haven't seen a car. Mm. I haven't seen a motorcycle or a bicyclist that are doing this." He says, "I'm just taking it in, and, and, and it's amazing what is uh, what 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 is going on this 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 world out here and everything else, and I'm just." taking in and savoring every, every minute. It, and it puts it into perspective. perspective. Yeah. And perspective is the single most important thing is that uh, uh, when you think you've got it really tough out here in real life or whatever, mm-hmm. no, it, it can be, it can be hell. I mean, I've never been to war. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's like going to war. And similarly in prison, you can't imagine when you're sitting there in a catonic state with people that you are positive are going to kill you and stab you, and uh, there's filth and there's disease and there's everything else, but yet you you go in there and you adapt and it becomes a part of you and you get used to it. And every Wednesday we would watch Survivor and mm-hmm. you know you'd have American Idol on the thing and mm-hmm. and the people and and, and it's and, and it's hysterical because. You're watching American Idol or something like that, and you get these big bruising guys that are, you know, 400 pounds that eat raw blood vessels in their teeth and everything else, and they're saying, oh, I just love her. Isn't she marvelous? I mean, listen to her voice is an yeah. angel, from, and, you're, and you're just laughing. At, this is a mass murderer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and a great guy. Yeah. What do you think, Ed, that you appreciate about being out? What would be the thing that you looked at and say, yeah, 
This is what I really like. This is good. Um, control the clicker. Yeah. I can watch what I want. Yeah. Um, you can get in your car and uh, go anything. You can eat anything. You yeah. can uh, make the, 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 the cooks and the chefs in, in prison are just incredibly resourceful. And you were talking about that the other day in, in terms of what you can do with a microwave. Um, but, um, you know, it's um, – it's the ability to, to, to make decisions on your own. I yeah. don't, right now, as of this it's point. It's freedom. I was five years on supervised. Yeah. You know, uh, supervised release. Yeah. And um, uh, during that period, so I got out in 2013, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to 2018, and I'm finally the last couple of years where I'm not. Yeah, you're free. Answerable to to anybody, yeah. Uh, for any uh, for anything in in that regard, I still had those same responsibilities to society, yeah. And I take and I, and, I, and I take that 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 part seriously, but I don't have to answer to somebody that that is just. Um, I, I I thought I really got the impression that a number of these people, some of them care or nice people, are there for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Some of them are there because it's a paycheck and they just don't want anything else. And other people are just mean. Yeah. They're just rotten people. Just mean people. Yeah. And the same thing with the prisoners. You had a third of the prisoners who were uh, just uh, bigoted, mean, nasty people that were just as selfish as anything you could find. You had two-thirds of the people that were really... Good, fun, nice people. I mean, you, you know, you're talking to, you know, you were with a shot collar. Yeah. And he was your buddy. And yeah. he was a good guy. Yeah. Now, it was like a, a buddy of mine that I met up there. He was the president of a motorcycle gang mm-hmm. from up north, the Midwest or whatever. And, I mean, a real motorcycle gang and everything. Yeah. Now, to become president, there's things that you have to Probably do. Probably have to do to get, get that to, job. To get there. But Scott was one of the nicest people and yeah. a good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and it teaches you on the outside. I've been able to see there's goodness in a lot of places you don't expect. I like that. Ed, that's a good place to end it. That is a, that is a nice statement. I really like that. Well, I, I'm proud of, of what you're doing here, Brett. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a great thing. It, 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 it helps. It helps you because it gets it off your chest and everything else. But the people that are listening, hopefully, I mean, I've been listening to your podcasts, and I've really enjoyed it. It's brought back memories. Uh, this stuff like, you know, you go, you should never forget. Yeah. I appreciate that, Ed. I really do. So, everybody, Ed Levinson, thanks for being here today. Uh, and I really, really appreciate the continuing follows and likes. Um I'll have more news next time. I've got Nightmare Success, my book, that's going to be coming actually out sooner than I thought. January was going to be the date. We're actually going to put it into December, and uh, I will be giving you guys information on that. So, everybody. Do I get an autographed copy? Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> everybody. Thanks. Thanks for being here today. Nightmare Success, in and out.